From Feature Story News in Washington, I'm Simon Marks. German doctors treating Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny say he was poisoned last week in Siberia. They say Mr Navalny remains in intensive care in an induced coma. They're still trying to determine the specific toxin that was used in the attack, but they're treating him with a drug used in cases of nerve gas and pesticide poisonings. The German foreign minister, Heiko Maas, says Mr Navalny is receiving protection in hospital. The suspicion is not that Mr. Navalny poisoned himself, but that someone poisoned Mr. Navalny. And there are unfortunately one or two examples of such poisonings in recent Russian history. It was clear that after his arrival, security measures had to be put into place because we are dealing with a patient who was likely the target of a poison attack. Protests have taken place in Wisconsin after a black man was critically injured in a police shooting. A state of emergency was declared in Kenosha overnight after Jacob Blake was shot multiple times in the back there. Our US correspondent Will Denzelow reports. Kenosha police announced they responded to a domestic incident just after 5pm local time on Sunday. Graphic footage shared on social media then purportedly shows a man opening a car door and an officer grabbing the individual and firing several shots into his back. A family friend says Jacob Blake is expected to survive and Wisconsin's Department of Justice says it will lead an investigation into the shooting. News of Mr Blake's shooting is already galvanising supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement and it comes just as President Trump's Republican convention is beginning. The president told Fox News over the weekend he wants the four-day event to be inspirational. Well, I think we're going to see something that is going to be very uplifting and positive. That's what I'd like it to be. The economy is roaring back. It's coming back. We're going to be talking about the economy. We're going to be talking about the military, what we've done and where we're going, because we need strong military. But there are clouds hanging over the convention, including a report that First Lady Melania Trump has been illicitly taped, making disparaging comments about both the president and some of his adult children. The recordings are reported to have been made by a former friend who has authored a tell-all book about her relationship with the First Lady. Prime Minister Boris Johnson says it's vitally important that schools in Britain reopen despite COVID-19. From FSN's London Bureau, Benji Hire reports. Students are preparing to return to school in parts of the UK and Prime Minister Boris Johnson is pressing home the message that the risk of contracting coronavirus at schools is very small. He claims it's far more damaging for a child's development and their health to be away from school any longer. His sentiments are echoed by the UK's chief medical officers, who believe missing school is a greater threat to children than COVID-19. From bureaus worldwide, this is FSN. This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom, righteously American. Welcome, welcome to the program. Stacy on the right.com, familyvisionmedia.com. This 
podcast is brought to you by the Family Vision Media Group. We have the Family Vision Library and the Family Vision Media arm of operations, and we're all working hard to equip you with a Christian worldview and enable you to be able to withstand uh, this current culture, which is we're swimming in it, we're living in it, but it's not exactly the best for us. But there is an antidote for that, and that's Christian worldview and believing and acting uh, on behalf of that worldview, which really directly points you to Jesus Christ. So listen, today on the program, we have an interview with Deneen Borelli. I'm so excited for you to get to hear our conversation today. We're going to be chatting about a ton of different things that are going to be really, really important for the election uh, and, and and other stuff. Really, not not so much that we know exactly what's going to happen, but that we have to be informed. And then I want to talk to you a little bit about just the lay of the land here. Um, There's a lot going on in the nation. We've seen continued violence. Uh, We're up close to 90 days of straight violence in Portland, Oregon, and some other areas of the country. Democratic strongholds, places that are really, you know, kind of known for their liberalism and their progressivism. But when it comes to just being able to deal with the day to day, um, that's out the window. And so we're going to talk a little bit about how that's going to impact people. So I want to start off with um, just the fact that it looks to me like there's a huge search party that's been sent out by the mainstream media. And they're searching for people who voted for President Trump and aren't going to vote for him this time. And so during the you know Democratic National Convention last week, they had during the day a parade of people who claimed that they were former Trump voters who were now voting for for Biden. But when you dug down a little bit, it turns out they weren't actually former Trump voters. They were really just people who, um, you know, they either didn't vote last time or they did or whatever. But the, it, they're not Trump supporters who are flipping to Biden. Now there are plenty of never Trumpers who were never Trump then and are never Trump now. But this elusive working class, regular American voter who also happens to be someone who voted for President Trump and is now voting for Biden, that is a unicorn they have not yet been able to lay their hands on a significant number of. So it's interesting. Why the obsession with that? Could it be that they're trying to push back against the walk away campaign, which if you know anything about that one, started by Brendan Straka, and he really just said, look, I have had enough, and I'm going to give these Republicans a try, and especially under the Trump doctrine, the new Trump Republican Party, which I was recently told that I'm a Trump Republican, um, which is is interesting because I was, I've been a Republican for 20 years now. Um, so the fact that I support President Trump, isn't that odd considering he's a Republican Party candidate and nominee and now president? Uh, but it's interesting how I guess that's supposed to be derisive. It's supposed to maybe be something that is insulting. I don't find it insulting at all. So let's talk uh, now about a little bit of the numbers There is an interesting backstory where we look at voters for President Trump back in 2016. 9% of the people who voted for President Obama flipped to President Trump in 2016. Another 10% of those same Obama voters stayed home or voted third party. So that was due in no small part to an entirely uninspiring candidate named Hillary Clinton, someone who... It was her turn and she had the power and the apparatus to force her way into the nomination, but she wasn't the one that the voters wanted. Now, 
President Trump had to have been an attractive candidate to get 9% of Obama's voters. In other words, it wasn't just that they were turned off by Hillary Clinton, but they were motivated enough to step over and cross that line and vote for a Republican. Now, we're seeing right now, because now we know Joe Biden is definitely, he's definitively, he is the nominee. We're seeing him basically say, look, I, I, my, part of my campaign strategy is I've got to find my way into some of those voters. I have to bring them into my coalition. So he's going to try to get more enthusiasm than Hillary Clinton did four years ago. So he needs those voters. He needs to swing the 9% that went for Trump and the 10% who stayed home or voted third party. In addition to that, there's a Trump voters. And we're talking about the dregs of society, the deplorables, um, the, the people have been incorrectly tarred as white supremacists, people who are, uh, you know, for strong southern border have been called they're, you know, every every name but a child of God. These all of these people have to be brought back over. So we're talking about 62 million voters who voted for President Trump. Those people, some of them, percentage points of them have to be peeled off and brought back over to the Biden coalition if it's to work. So how does the Biden coalition or campaign try to do that? And how would President Trump want to not just play to his base, but keep those crossover voters and even get possibly more. Well, some of it is definitely part and parcel to what each campaign is going to offer in the way of policy and positions and just the overall uh, attractiveness of the candidates. But there's also a huge thing, as I mentioned, the cities on fire, current rioting and states of emergencies being declared. And Connected to that is this newfound obsession, Democrats wanting to defund the police. Americans don't want that. There's a new poll out that shows that an overwhelming majority of Americans don't want to defund the police. They want law and order. Even 80% of black voters disagree with defunding the police. Now, this doesn't mean there aren't anarchists and activists out there who want this, but we're talking about the majority of people. And that's where the victory for one of the candidates will actually be carved out. The biggest thing facing Americans right now, besides COVID-19 and the economy, is whether or not they live in an area that's controlled by Democrats. If it's controlled by Democrats, lawlessness is a part of the deal. It's baked into the cake. So you've got these it's it's violence, it's crime, um, all of that stuff. And you have President Trump making an announcement, which is what we're going to talk to Deneen Borelli about. Um, we're going to talk to her about this announcement that the president made that he is going to basically stop this program. It's under the Housing and Urban Development, HUD. Um, Dr. Ben Carson is a secretary of HUD. And they're stopping this Obama-era program from putting these houses, or they're not, they're not really houses, they're multi-unit dwellings, high-density housing, some of it with retail on the bottom. I mean, there's actually nothing wrong with it. It's just you just don't want it in the middle of your subdivision. And so the president is putting a stop to that. Well, it turns out 
Polling shows that it's not just defunding the police that people are opposed to. 83% of Americans support the president and Secretary Carson support the ending of this program. So I want to now bring Deneen Borelli onto the show. We're going to talk about this. We're going to unpack it. So right now, let me welcome in Deneen Borelli. Deneen, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Stacy, How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty well. I, I actually was looking through stories this morning, just reading and catching up on news. And I see that the president has put out a, a kind of a almost a press release about wanting to protect the suburbs from it's not that we want to protect the suburbs from any type of people themselves, but protect the ability of people who live in the suburbs to live as they wish using subdivision covenants and whatever other kinds of local rules and regulations they they deem fit. And there was a move by the Obama administration back when he was president to change the actual formula of what a suburb is. So what is the reason why President Trump is focusing on this and why is it important to voters for November? Well, thank goodness President Trump is protecting Americans from the Democrats. That's my big headline of the day. The very county that's mentioned in the story, a couple of stories that I've seen, is Westchester County, New York. I lived in Westchester County for over 18 years, and I was there when the Obama-Biden administration tried to do the very thing you just mentioned. They wanted to regulate and, uh, and, and have these high-density apartments put in single-family residential neighborhoods. They wanted to just change the whole landscape and put in these apartment buildings uh, with high density, meaning more people. Think of New York City and how those apartments are stacked one on top of the other, right on top of each other, right next to each other. And so uh, what, the, what the Biden Sanders, they want to resurrect the same plan same idea for low-income housing in the suburbs. Now, first of all, people should be able to live wherever they want as long as they can afford it. We don't need the federal government dictating what these neighborhoods and these communities should be doing. And that is exactly what uh, Joe Biden and the Sanders uh, idea, their plan, that's exactly what they want to do. So, Deneen, you happen to be permanently tanned like myself. We're both on Black Voices for Trump. So this is uh -huh. not about pre preventing black people from moving to the suburbs. In fact, 40% uh, of black people live in the suburbs, correct? Yeah, it's not about that at all. But, of course, you're going to have Democrats, those on the left, the radicals, they're going to make it about race because they make everything about race, Stacey, no matter what it is no matter what the facts are, what the data is. And you just mentioned uh, a perfect example of, of the data of where black Americans live in, in the country. And so it, it comes down to individuals living where they want to reside, A, B, being able to afford it, and C, to even implement something like this, you're going to have people stranded in these certain areas. What if they don't have a car? What if they don't have a, a driver's license to get around? Uh, where do these people work? How are they supposed to commute to work? Uh, they, they don't even think these things through. So it's a feel-good uh, policy, feel-good idea backed by claims of racism. So I, 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 I went on uh, Alex Witt and discussed this topic and immediately, um, you know, the kind of Soros monkeys jumped on my Twitter feed and they were yelling at me. How can you as a black woman say you don't want 
low income people, black people to come to your neighborhood just because you made it to the suburbs. You don't want anyone else to make it there. And we're going to come in and we're going to bring in mixed use and high density uh, living into suburbs because no one should have the right to not have low income people live near them. These are actual tweets I received. So the question that I have is, is this about because I, I just have to be clear about this, Denine. I think a lot of what we say when you're communicating and you're I, I've watched you on Fox News communicate. And then right after that, I see in the comments on the tweets in response to your appearance or elsewhere, people completely misconstruing what you've said. So I'm, I'm asking you this for clarity's sake. I mean, you and I both know the answer to this, but is this about trying to keep black and brown people out of the suburbs because they're all poor. Because that, that's the insinuation, isn't it? If someone says to you, you can't, you don't want uh, poor people living near you because they're black, well, then that means all the poor people are black. That's not true, first of all. All poor people are not black and all black people are not poor. And this isn't about any specific race of people. How do we get that truth out there as opposed to it's just the most basic, simple, it's a lie they're prom- promulgating about President Trump? And that has nothing to do with the actual rule that was implemented by the, the Obama administration or the undoing of that rule by HUD Secretary Carson. No, you're absolutely right. And from day one, the left, the Democrats have been calling President Trump a racist. So they're going to keep doing that no matter what the issue is, no matter what the policy is. That's their agenda. They don't care about the facts. They don't care about the data. By the way, Minneapolis and Oregon have already abolished single family zoning uh, throughout their state. So so think about that for a second and what's going to happen there uh, with the property value, uh, the number of people that will be now in a densely populated area. Again, nothing to do with race. And if you look at what's going on with these big cities today, Portland, New York, Chicago, Seattle, they are failing under Democrat policies for decades. They are on fire nightly and daily, Stacey, and we've, we've seen it in the news, riots, the violence, the criminal activity, and they want to bring that nonsense to the suburbs. They don't, that's, that's their agenda. That's what they want to do. So the points that you're making, <laughs> they can't be stressed enough because when I, when I go on Riot Fails on Instagram and I watch the police Literally, it's like a war zone. You have the protesters dressed all in black block. They're Antifa. There's a mix of Black Lives Matter there. They're going up against the police with homemade shields that have symbols painted on them. And and they're organized and they're throwing incendiary devices. And as you said, this comes to the suburbs. But it's not just the fact that it's democratically run states and cities that are on fire. And it's not just the fact that the people who are being harmed by this, the majority of them are are Democrats because they're living in areas where they have a concentration of power. But when you say Minneapolis and Oregon have eliminated uh, single family zoning, I don't think people understand what that means. We're talking about you moving into a neighborhood that at the moment is all single family homes and your neighbor putting their house up for sale and someone who either lives in your neighborhood or doesn't purchasing that lot and putting an apartment complex on it. So now you have all the parking issues. You have children can't play in the street anymore. And if they make it low income, you have people moving in who are not in the same socioeconomic background and they have no buy in. The reason why people keep their yards so pristine in the suburbs is there's a natural pressure 
everyone is an owner or most of the people are owners. Even the renters have that pressure. You don't let the trash blow, et cetera, because your neighbors, that's an inherent pressure of living in an area where everyone is similarly, um, you know, socioeconomically, you're in a similar place. This is not the situation that we're going to see in Minneapolis and Oregon as they begin to destroy their suburban areas. No, you're absolutely right. And what the Democrats want to bring is chaos on all ends. Uh, so I, I just mentioned how, and let me just stress, by the way, that the so-called Democrat leaders have not called out, they have not condemned the violence, the rioting, the looting that we are seeing in these big cities. They're not calling it out at all. As a matter of fact, uh, I can't say her first name, Presley, uh, oh, I got from Presley. Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's calling for more unrest. I mean, my goodness, how irresponsible is that? She is calling for more unrest. She is condoning what we are seeing every day and every night. And in Portland, for example, where our our law enforcement, they're uh, being uh, targeted, intimidated. Uh, They're they're backing down because they don't know if they're going to get to go home after that their current shift. They don't know if they're going to be ambushed. Uh, They don't know if they're going to see their family that day, that night. So she is basically giving them carte blanche to do whatever you want. And no one is being held accountable. So I'm so glad we've had an opportunity to unpack this. Um, give everyone the website where they can find you and your social media handles. Uh, we never have enough time to talk to Neen. <laughs> First and last name, Deneen Borelli, Twitter and Facebook. And you can check out my website, DeneenBorelli.com. It's fantastic to talk to you. I hope to see you again soon, very soon on the campaign trail. Thanks, Deneen. Absolutely. Thanks, Stacey. So huge thank you to Deneen Borelli for joining us today. So she makes all of these fantastic points, which go to every city and suburb in America. So this is a huge campaign issue that wakes people up to the fact that people that they voted for or a party that they voted for might not have exactly their best interests at heart, or maybe they themselves have changed because they no longer want to either dwell in a city or have allegiance to a group of people who want to change suburban areas to look more like cities or take away their control. Because it's really not about what they look like. It's about the control that you have over being able to say, I want to live in a neighborhood of only one acre single family homes. And the Obama administration and the people who support that ideology saying you don't have the right to determine that low income housing can't be put right next to you. You don't have that right. So it was really great to talk to Deneen and, and to have that conversation. So Back to these major issues that are facing our our political parties and, and our nation at large. Rasmussen reports says 72% of likely voters are concerned about the growing violent protests nationwide. 62% say it will affect their vote. And I think this is a pretty horrible sign for uh, the, the Democrats when they're looking at how they're going to get it done. That's the... You're not getting it done if you allow uh, Soros prosecutors to dismiss charges against these people who are committing these crimes. So then there's whether or not the nomination of Kamala Harris actually helped. Well, CNN's latest poll shows a 21 point shift away from Biden among non-white voters after choosing Harris as the VP nomination. White voters. So this is a part of the coalition. White voters are on both sides of the political aisle. And you have to do something to attract voters. And usually the vice president nomination reflects 
a characteristic that that person brings to the ticket that makes the ticket more attractive and more palatable to voters. Not just that, but it energizes voters. That's not what's happening here. So after last week's DNC, and we heard from everybody, Michelle and Barack Obama, the Clintons, which according to the Me Too movement, Bill Clinton shouldn't have been able to buy a ham sandwich in the DNC uh, you know, uh, cafeteria area. Instead, he shows up virtually and actually speaks to the entire convention. Could that be what drove AOC to nominate Bernie Sanders? <laughs> we'll never know. But, you know, it, it was an interesting week. They also had Jill Biden and, of course, Kamala Harris. And this was the poll last Thursday showing pres- President Trump's approval uh, moving from 47% to 51%. So this is absolutely fantastic, but it's not good for Democrats who are looking to shore up their coalition. So let's think back for just one moment. Um, It's always fun to look at history when it comes to presidential contests. So thinking back to President Jimmy Carter, Leading Republican nominee Ronald Reagan by 10 points during the summer of 1980. Remember that? If not, look it up. Use your DuckDuckGo search engine. Reagan won in a historic landslide, but Jimmy Carter was ahead by 10 points. Now, over the weekend, I was on MSNBC on the Alex Witt Show, and she was talking about this 10-point lead that a CBS poll had brought forward as breaking news that uh, Biden leads President Trump by 10 points. Interesting, right? (laughs) See the correlation there. And then when Democratic nominee Michael Dukakis was up by 17 points over Republican nominee George H.W. Bush right after the Democratic convention, and Bush won the electoral vote by 426 to 111. That's not even a contest. That's one of those soccer games where the kids are 30 points ahead on Team B, and so they don't stop the clock Anything, anytime the ball's not moving, the clock's still running because the game is really over. They're just playing it out because it's too sad to stop it before it's over because it's done. So am I saying that it's a surety that President Trump wins re-election? No, I take nothing for granted. But I do say that in the big scheme of things, if we're looking at the historical aspects, he's got a fighting chance, more than a fighting chance, I would say. Uh, and that to me is... Uh, it's exciting. It's exciting. So um, I want to just go over a couple more quick things, newsy type things. Um, There are a few more polls and they're interesting. Um, In 2016, President Trump won with 8% of the black vote and 27% of the Hispanic vote. And according to CNN, those numbers are significantly higher this time around. 33% of people of color in battleground states now support President Trump. And that's, that's, you know, I think driven again by the protests and the violence and the lack of the ability for police to do anything about it. And thinking about the DNC, I'm wondering if you noticed a few things that were not mentioned. First off, no discussion whatsoever of the impeachment. They didn't mention it. They really didn't talk about Russia collusion. They didn't talk about the Mueller investigation, even though they won on all this stuff. And lastly, they didn't denounce the protests and the rioting. They weren't really able to hammer the president with COVID-19 because the top three states for deaths 
have the top 20, have 20% of the population of the entire country and also are all run by Democrats. So uh, kind of fascinating. 33% of the COVID deaths came out of three states, New, New York, New Jersey, and California. Um, and those states have 20% of the U.S. population. So they're saying that tonight the RNC is going to come on in. And I, I was uh, in D.C. last week, and we did a whole bunch of really cool stuff for the RNC for this week. And then also we had the Real Joe Biden show, which aired on Facebook. You can find it all over the place online if you want to go back and laugh with us. It was pretty fun. We had a good time doing that. And over and over again, I was told that we were going to have a really positive, really upbeat, really fun uh, convention this week from the RNC talking about American greatness. I hope that's the truth. I, I sincerely hope that that is what they bring to us next week. Um, or this week, actually, sorry, we're, we're already in that week. <laughs> um, I want to leave you with a scripture. Um, as we as we close out the show here today. Um, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. That's John 10, 14. Fantastic thing to meditate on and to think about. Um, God knows us and we know him. And that's some really comforting stuff right there. And by stuff, I mean scripture. All right. Go be awesome. Have a fantastic evening. Check us out at familyvisionmedia.org. StacyOnTheRight.com. God bless.